has given us some things to believe. And as a church, we believe that being part of a church is to be part of a people. And for us to take a responsibility for that church and for that church to take responsibility for us. And so it's important for us as a people that we're on the same page about things. And much more interesting than just preaching right through our doctrine statement, we are preaching through John uh, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Um, today, we're going to say, believe, and we've done believe Jesus about. So today, it's believe Jesus about tribulation. Uh, and it's not just that we're going to talk about the tribulation or, or tribulation, but how ultimately is it that we as people, when we are in tribulation, when we are in the mess and the muck of a fallen world, how is it in that time that we worship Jesus? And, and I think today as we look at this text, we will see there are realities here where Jesus will push us to worship him more if we're actually paying attention to what he said even in the midst of tribulation. So I will go ahead and pray for us, and we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people. Um, with that comes tribulation. With that comes turbulence. With that comes chaos. Uh, with being faithful to you uh, in a world that is not faithful to you comes all kinds of trials. Uh, and at the same time, you've not left us alone. You've not left us orphans. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us the Word. You've even given us the church. And so I pray today as we hear your words, as you tell us things, Jesus, like our sorrow will turn to joy, that you have conquered, that we would stand firm on those realities. We'd breathe them in, we'd breathe them out, and in the midst of tribulation, we'd worship you more. So Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, so we're in 16, starting in 16. Uh, many years ago, I, I got to teach a Hebrews class with my buddy Greg Joins, who's since gone on to plant a PCA church uh, in Oregon. Uh, and me and Greg taught this class on Hebrews. And, and, and the interesting thing about Hebrews is there's a lot of what are called pronouns. And we don't do pronouns anymore, but a pronoun is where you pr replace a proper noun like Jesus or God with he or whatever. Right, and, and we got to this place, and I said, okay, guys, uh, what, who, who is this he referring to? Right? And everyone gave the Sunday school answer, Jesus, the he is Jesus. And I, if you've been with our church for any amount of time, I've encouraged you to be a person who reads your Bible slowly uh, and pay attention to who the pronouns are referring to. And said, no, it's not Jesus. And then everyone said, oh, it's God the Father, it's God the Father. And I said, it is one of the persons of the Trinity, but it is not God the Father nor Jesus. Who is it? And everyone says together, Holy Spirit. The reality is that I learned in that moment is that sometimes the theological answer to the question is not Jesus, right? That sometimes the answer is God the Father, sometimes it's the Holy Spirit, sometimes it's something else, and that the Sunday school answer doesn't always work. But today, as we look at the practical reality of tribulation, I think we will see in the practical, in the praxis, where the theology of our life meets the life of our life, where the reality, these giant realities of who Jesus is and what he has done come to land here on planet Earth in my day-to-day, -day, when you're at work, when you're with the kids, when you're with your friends, when you're with the church, when you're with the lost, when you're, when you're in tribulation, when you're in joy, that the answer is always Jesus. That because through Jesus and his gospel, we get everything else. Through Jesus coming to earth to saving us from ourselves, not because of anything we've done, because of everything he's done, from the fact that he loved us first and saved us from ourselves and gave us God and gave us the Holy Spirit and gave us life in him. Uh, somewhere in the core of all of it, the answer is Jesus. And today as we look at this, we're going to see the answer is in fact uh, Jesus. As we look at three things that are meant to, my hope is here, that would be logs on the fire of our worship 
when we're knee-deep in the muck and the mess of a broken world. Uh, So number one, uh, Jesus turns our sorrow into joy. Uh, Number two, Jesus turns us to the Father through the gospel. We get God. It's the greatest gift of the gospel. And in Jesus, number three, Jesus turns our loss, our losses into victory, into victory. So let's go ahead and dig into the text. We actually have a lot of verses to go through today, so I hope you ate a big breakfast. Let's go. Uh, Verse 16 of 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. He's talking about the cross. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And in a classic moment, the disciples look at each other and say, what the heck is Jesus talking about? As they do, right here. They do that sometimes, right? All over the place. Like, did you hear what he said? That was kind of crazy. What do you think he meant by that? And then he just says, what I meant by that was this, guys. Uh, And so here he goes. Uh, Well, they'll have that conversation, and then he'll tell them. Uh, So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. They're like, what is he talking about? How does someone get to God? Great question, different sermon. Verse 18. Uh, So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? What's he talking about? Great question. We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, he's so kind. They wanted to ask, but they weren't going to because they're confused and they don't want anyone to know they're confused. So here he goes. Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, John's gospel, we have these amen, amen statements, truly, truly. If you're in the King Jimmy, it's verily, verily. Uh, whenever you see Jesus say those two things together, slow down and pay attention. He's trying to point something out. It would kind of sound cooler if it was verily, verily. Verily, verily, I say to you, uh, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn to joy. Reality is, Jesus is going to the cross. Reality is, this person they've been following for three years, who they think is Messiah, who they think is the Savior, is going to die, and he's going to die a horrible, public, nasty, gruesome death. And they think they lose. That's it. I mean, that's what, this happens in John's Gospel. Right? The, the crucifixion happens, everybody goes fishing. Well, that was an interesting three years, I guess following Jesus. This is so important for us because as we're Christians, we can attach our Christian walk to things other than Jesus and those things can in fact fall apart. The reality is Jesus does not fall apart. The gospel is durable and does not fall apart. So we don't attach our hope to human institutions, but God at work through those human institutions, right? And really more than anything, Jesus at work. They're going to sorrow, have sorrow. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. We got him. We did God's work. We took care of that old Galilean peasant preacher who was stirring the people up with all kinds of stuff. Let's have a party. But they'll weep and lament and be sad and sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn to joy because what's on the other end of the cross? Right? Uh, John Stott. John Stott? 
I'm going to redact that. I don't want to misquote this. A great theologian, greater and smarter than I have, has observed, uh, there are sort of three main leans that Christians can have. We can be manger people, we can be cross people, or we can be uh, crown people. And what he means by that uh, is manger, uh, and this is where more liberal churches tend to sit. Jesus is the example. You look at the life of Jesus and what he did, and look, he was nice to people, so we should be nice to people. Uh, you focus only on the cross, so you focus literally just on sin. You have sin, Jesus died on the cross, for your sin, your sinners, period. And the crown is where we sit and understand the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of God uh, coming forth and being unleashed. Uh, and our problem is, is if we pick one of these camps and sit on them, we miss the other two-thirds of the gospel. We believe in sin. Right things, wrong reasons. Wrong things in rebellion against God. Idolatry. And we are all constantly guilty. Now, if we stop there and say, all right, everybody, let's get up and sing. Yay, let's sing about how sinful I am. Well, hey, I have this other thing. I have the manger. I have the reality that God came and lived the life you were supposed to live. I have the reality of the great exchange that God takes the life of Jesus for yours. For all your falling short and all your frailty and all your messing up, he takes his perfect sinless life instead of yours. Now we can start singing, right? Now we can start saying, so he takes that life. But it's not just that. It's also the crown. It's the kingdom of God is now that you have been given life in Christ and life eternal. You've been given a new heart in the Holy Spirit and that came through the cross as your sin was paid for and that came through that life that God took instead of yours so that God could be reconciled to you through Jesus Christ and through his cross. And so, yeah, I am a wretched sinner. And yeah, Jesus has made me alive, not because of anything I've done, but everything that he has done. Right? Right? Yes, good morning. <laughs> their sorrow will turn to joy. And how is their sorrow going to turn to joy specifically in this case? Jesus died on that cross, but he raises from the dead. I mean, it's hard to imagine that idea. Someone you knew, someone you loved, someone you trusted dies. And again, in a horrible and public And three days later, he's back. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know it's Christmas, so we've got to talk about the, the manger thing a lot, which is good, and we will. But can you imagine? I mean, it's so shocking to Thomas who doubted, doubting Thomas. If you look at the account in John's Gospel, he says, I'm not going to believe it until I touch him. What does he do when he actually sees him? Does he touch him? Read it carefully. He falls down and worships him is what he does. Right? Your sorrow will turn to joy. Your sorrow will turn to joy. But I don't think this is just true of the disciples because the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection gets played out in all of our lives and is really ultimately getting played out uh, cosmically in the sense that the resurrection wasn't just a one-time event uh, that secures you a place in heaven. The resurrection is the inauguration of the kingdom of God by which he's putting the whole world back the way it's supposed to be. Uh, it is the promises of Isaiah getting unleashed that there will be... Uh, uh, tears wiped from every eye, and that God, through his Messiah, who is Jesus, is going to put everything back the way God had intended, the way he built it, because the reality is, and I know I say the same things every week, and I'll tell you that there's a reason I say the same things every week, what I'm about to say, because I want them burned in your mind so that you can say them too, okay? God made everything good, and we broke it. God sent a promise to send somebody to fix it. 
that somebody to fix it was Jesus, and he came to fix it. And now as the kingdom's coming, he's putting everything back the way it's supposed to be. And you and I, as, as a church, are part of the kingdom of God and part of what he's doing in the world. And this, friends, is an embassy by which we can tell people the good news that Jesus Christ has paid the price for sin and welcome people into the kingdom of God and into the family of God. And so not only that, but you and I now get to be participants in the reality of the resurrection. Yes, it happened, but it can't be undone. Its effects are still occurring. If you met Jesus, the reality of the cross and the reality of the resurrection have been applied to your life, even though they happened 2,000 years ago. If we are not careful, friends, these become abstractions. If you are a Christian and you are alive today, it's because your price, the price for your sin has been paid for. And you're alive because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus rose from the dead. That's why on Christmas, we don't say he did. How would be the proper preposition there? He has risen. He is risen. Present tense. Is. He is risen. He is risen. That's when you all say, he's risen indeed. I know Christmas is coming, but I really like Easter. I really like the resurrection. I like Christmas too. I've started listening to Christmas music weeks ago. You think I'm joking. I'm not. <laughs> okay. This is true in the life of the believer. Um, man, I can't tell you the reality of Jesus and the gospel breaking forth. Um, I mean, some of you are people who have walked with me in this, and some of you are people who I've walked with you in this, I'm sure, in this room even, and just other believers I know. Um, how, how many tragedies and tribulations have, have we as a church experienced even together? Uh, how many sadnesses that have occurred or things that you're even bringing in here sadnesses that have occurred, and when the gospel reality uh, comes to play in that, that Jesus is putting everything back the way it's supposed to be, and that you weren't like lost in God's view, uh, you weren't forgotten in what he's doing in the world, and I'm not saying I understand every tribulation that you've gone through, but I'm telling you, I've talked with so many people and experienced it in my own life, that maybe the only thing I got out of the deal was that God is good, and Jesus is real, and I love him. I might not look at my, my eldest son, who's now alive and well, praise the Lord, on the neonatal intensive care unit as a parent of all of 24 hours. I would not wish the neonatal intensive care unit on my worst enemy. I wish Jesus on my worst enemy, to be totally honest. But in that moment, there, everything was just taken away. You have this, this hope and all this. And the, you know, we don't know what's going to happen here. Really clear. Really clear with us. We, you, maybe 50-50. Yeah, you wouldn't know it now. He's running around doing his thing. Right? I wouldn't want to ever, ever, ever do that again. Ever, 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 ever. But you know what I left there knowing? I left knowing Jesus is the king. I left knowing that his sovereign hand is at work in great tragedies. The cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest tragedy on the planet. Let us not forget, yes, God ordained it before the foundations of the earth to save us, but nasty, horrible, wicked people did this horrible, nasty, wicked thing. And they are responsible for that. Okay. That's their sorrow that he's speaking of here. Their sorrow is turning to joy. He'll explain it a little further. Let's keep going. 
21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. There's no turning around at that point in time. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Irrevocable. The joy that we have in Jesus, no one can take Jesus from you. Not height, nor depth, nor powers, nor principalities will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. They can take everything, whoever they is. They can take your stuff. They can take your life. They can't take Jesus. They can't take Jesus. Truly, truly, there it is again. Oh, sorry, 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of, uh, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, uh, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now you have not asked, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be filled full. Go with me to Isaiah. So we need to see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his return there, is associated with what we're now in. That's the church era. Okay? If you're a Christian, you've been given the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you've been given a new heart. If you're a Christian, you've been given a relationship with God. If you're a Christian, you've been forgiven for your sins. If you're a Christian, you have life eternal. Period, period, period. No, not period, period, period. Period, right? I was trying to emphasize the period, not make a dot, dot, dot. Here in Isaiah, way before Jesus, the incarnation that is, uh, in 65 and 17, I'll read it. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. God's going to put everything back the way it was supposed to be. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Be glad, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. Before, behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard the sound of weeping. You ever stop and just think what it will be like for you to have lived thousands of years and heard no one weeping? That's not turning sorrow into joy. I don't know what is. But the picture here is, is that whatever's happening, when we're before Jesus forever in the kingdom of God, when it comes to its fullness, it's not saying it's, and don't watch this movie, by the way. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. And why I watched this movie when I was a kid, hey, it was the 80s and these things happened, right? Total recall. They wipe everybody's minds out, right? Don't go and rent it, right? It's not total recall. 
It's just the reality and the magnitude. And everyone's like, total recall. What is, I think they remade it, though. But don't watch that one either. It's probably horrible. Um, the magnitude and the reality, and if you will, the loudness of the beauty and glory of Jesus will be such that in the kingdom of God, the hardships you and I have experienced will seem like distant memories. They'll seem like distant memories. You'll be you. It's not total recall. But, but whatever happens here in this, what Paul's going to call light, momentary affliction, which, by the way, is not the thing to tell someone. I know you're in deep anguish right now. Don't worry, it's light and momentary. Don't just be snappy with it, right? Don't do that. We weep with the weeping. But the good news is that those things will be a distant memory someday in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 8. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present... This is Paul. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's when the power of the resurrection comes to full fruition uh, and we ourselves are put back the way we're supposed to be and everything is the way it ought to be. For the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly. That's when we broke it. Uh, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's you. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, there's our childbirth metaphor again, until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. It is not wrong for you to experience tribulation and say, Jesus, I want out of this thing. It's not wrong for you to drive to church in the morning and see the mess and the muck of life like I did this morning. And not only pray for every person you see, I would encourage you, when you're driving in, pray for your elders, pray for the members of the church, pray for this community, pray for whoever's preaching, pray for whoever's singing the songs and leading us in worship, and pray for the people whose lives obviously are in the deepest need ever, and that's Jesus. I only drive from Broadview, and I see a mess on my way here on Greenwood, right? Pray for me. Pray for them. Pray for us. Pray for yourselves. Pray, pray that we just be able to hear the truth of this. It's not bad to groan inwardly. It's not bad to look at tragedy and say, when Jesus, when are, we put, when are you putting this thing back the way it ought to be? Because this is what I know. You will, Jesus. You are going to put this thing back the way it ought to be, but when? That's his call, not mine. Right? We might count it slow, as some count slowness, First Peter. Man, does it feel slow when you're in the mess and the tribulation of your own life and you want it to get out quick, and yet it's slow. But a day to him is a thousand years and whatnot. Back to John. right now what we are experiencing is the kingdom as it's coming to fruition. Right? Every time somebody meets Jesus, right, what a great day when we get to do baptisms. Right? 
uh, when a Christian trusts Jesus more, uh, when God does mighty things, the kingdom is expanding. And, and someday that kingdom is going to be actualized. Right now we see it dimly like a mirror. Verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. We cannot knock this one down anymore. I could do this every Sunday, right? It's not the God of the Old Testament is his middle school days, wrathful, angry, cranky, God the Father, and then Jesus is this nice New Testament God, and they are somehow different. One God, three persons. That is something, if you've bought into that, you have bought into something someone has sold you. What is the most quoted Bible by the Bible in the Old Testament? The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. That's what the Bible has to say. And I'm not saying that God doesn't move and God doesn't do justice, but I'm telling you that the God of the Old Testament is a God of love. The God of the Old Testament is the God who comes and gets his people out of Egypt and saves them, though they have nothing to offer him. He saves them, and then he says, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. He doesn't give the covenant. He saves them and says, now that I've saved you, this is what you need to know. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and this is what it's going to look like to live in my ways. But not only that, he made the promises that in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, when Jesus comes, it's not just that he's going to be our God, and we're going to be his people if we walk in his ways. He is going to be our God, and we are going to be his people because he's going to cause us to walk in his ways. He's going to give us the Spirit. He gave us his Son. And don't think, oh, God, the Father is cranky, and Jesus, like, goes on my behalf and, like, decrankifies him, right? We all, I mean, my hope and my prayer for all of us, I mean, especially those in the room who are parents, man, I want you to be the best, godly, awesome, Jesus-pointing parents ever. And some of you had awesome, godly, Jesus-pointing parents. Some of you didn't. Some of you didn't grow up in Christian homes. I didn't really grow up in a Christian home. Uh, you know, some of you, my, my wife's parents get saved later in life, just miracles everywhere, right? But she didn't grow up in that. Some of you have the stories like, and my dad did this, and my mom did this, and that's awesome, and those testimonies are great. At the end of the day, the best parent in the whole wide world still falls short of God. And honestly, we bring a lot of weird dad stuff to God the Father sometimes. But you need to hear this about God the Father, right? I will, uh, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Jesus Christ has given us full and unfettered access to God the Father. This is the good news of the gospel. He saved you from your sin to a life with God. 
uh, that great metaphor, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant sits in the temple and there's a curtain around the Ark of the Covenant. In the Old Testament, only once a year can one priest go into the straight up presence of God and they tie a rope around his foot and put some bells on it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's awesome and you can research it. It's really cool. They tie a rope on the guy's foot and they put some bells on it because the concern is that his microphone will fall off and then no one will be able to hear him because he wore a sweater that didn't work today. The... Uh, Oh, yeah, right there. No. I'm not going to hold it. I may have to shout, but I'm not going to hold it the whole day. It's so little. Oh, and it's getting worse. And I don't have a baby here today to blame it on him. Oh, the baby was playing with it. Nope, just me. There we go. Okay. Um, Moving on. Uh, access, guy, rope, foot. Okay, so he, they send him in to go offer the sacrifice once a year with a rope tied to his foot and a bell on it because if they stop hearing the bell, it turns out he probably had some secret sin. He didn't confess to anybody and God struck him down inside. And so they don't want to go in to get his body out, so they will drag him out. So that's the big deal. Now, as Jesus is dying on the cross, that curtain is torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top. Why is it significant top to bottom? God's the one who rips it in half. God's the one who breaks down the wall between us and him. God is the one who does it. And Jesus, through his cross, has given us full and unfettered access to God the Father. I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Okay, so that's number two. He turns us to the Father. Number three, Jesus turns loss into victory. His disciples said, uh, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe Didn't you believe when the lame could see? The lame always can see. The blind could see and the lame could walk. When all those Isaiah promises were coming, when when the poor had good news preached to them, when the fulfillment of a prophecy was happening day in and day out, now you believe? Yeah, now they believe. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. It's go time. We're going to do the high priestly prayer, and then the cross happens. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Often, we think, well, you know, if I'd just been there, if I could have seen the miracles, then I'd be faithful. If I just bend with the Ark of the Covenant wandering through the desert, that pillar of smoke up top and fire by night, I would have been faithful. They weren't faithful. They had a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. And they still made pretend gods when Moses goes up to talk to God for a while. Right? This is the odd phenomenon of being a human that's in the process of taking off the old man and putting on the new. Has Jesus been faithful in your life to get you here living and breathing? 
answer is yes, because you're sitting in a seat. You're right here right now. And how quickly, after the whole pipe of your life, you can look back and look, God was faithful there, 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 and there, 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 and there, and 15 million other places I didn't even see. How's he going to do it this time? Oh, and he did it again. Often not the way you think it should go down, but he still does it because he's the sovereign ruler of the universe and he loves you. It doesn't usually look the way you think it should look, but regardless, his way is always better. Okay. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming indeed. It has come when you will be scattered. They scattered. Peter scattered. Each to his own home. He'll leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. They lost faith. Jesus didn't. Everyone can ditch you. Everyone can leave you. Everyone can forsake you, but not God. You can feel more alone. This could be the loneliest day of your entire life, and if you are a Christian, you have Jesus. You have the Father. You have the Spirit. I have said these things to you, that in me, now, what's amazing here is that Jesus doesn't say, and when you ditch me, and when you go to your home, and when you're not faithful, I'm going to go find some people who actually are. Mm-mm. You ever been unfaithful? Didn't believe his promises? Didn't think it was going to work out? Doubted? And how much he loves you to pull it through, and you're like, you're right, Jesus, forgive me, I love you. And he doesn't say, well, I'll think about it for a couple of weeks, and then maybe we can get, I'll email you, maybe we get coffee, work it out. It's not how it works. It's the prodigal son every time. Every time it's the prodigal son. Every time he comes with open arms and embraces you back in. Every time. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Always remember, peace in the Bible is not the absence of war is wholeness. It's shalom. It's things put back the way they're supposed to be. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. It's a fairly simple, straightforward sentence in English and in Greek. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have turbulence. You will have chaos. You will wake up one day, and all of a sudden, whatever happens, you didn't think that day was going to go the way that day was supposed to go. And that day might change everything for the rest of your life here on earth. What's amazing about this is that Hebrew's reality, that he was made like us in every way but knew no sin, so he could be a faithful high priest to his brothers and sisters. That we worship a God who can relate to you in the middle of tribulation. We have a God whose shoulder you can cry on. And he knows firsthand what you've been through. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. 
this is one of the most important sentences in all of the Bible. So I have to sneak out, lurk out and say it. Let's pay attention. But I have overcome the world. Perfect tense. Past action. We are, an, we are a tense-based language, English. We are not a, an aspectually-based language. You can do some things with an aspectually-based language like Russian or Hebrew or Greek. The perfect tense means that the thing happened in the past but has ongoing results. I have overcome the world. The world is overcome, says Jesus. And yet that overcoming of the world continues to have results down the hype of history from then until today. This word overcome is a powerful word. It's based on the word Nike, like the shoe. Because the word Nike is based on the goddess of victory and conquest. Right? Overcome. I have overcome the world. And remember in John's gospel, the world are all the things that are organized against God. All the people who hate God, all the spiritual and malevolent forces that hate God, all the systems that are built against God and his ways. And Jesus is saying, right now and everything that's coming, I already won. I already did it. Uh, go with me to Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Same word. It's rendered a little differently in its semantic range, but it's the same word. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1 of the book of Revelation says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated at the throne a scroll written with, within and on the back sealed with seven seals. This is John seeing a prophecy. So it's in prophetic, uh, it's in prophetic view, however you want to call that. Right? God's giving him a vision. Uh, seated on the throne, a scroll was written, and on the back sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? The seals get broken, and the final stuff of putting the world back the way it's supposed to be begins. And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. I love John's response here. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. He knows that thing is it's, it's in prophetic vision, right? We have to be careful how we take it and interpret it. But he knows that on the other end of that scroll busting open uh, is the world put back the way it's supposed to be, and yet he doesn't get it that God's going to do it, and he just starts to weep because he's looking forward to that. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it, and one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David... To extremely messianic, promised one of the Old Testament references, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus already won. Jesus has already beat all the things that are organized against God and his people. It doesn't always look like that. It doesn't look like that in the middle of Syria in Iraq right now, if you are a Christian in one of those places. It doesn't look like that. But we don't see how God sees. Uh, in fact, we're included in this. Go with me to, uh, we'll do 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are people who are saying they're from God. They're saying, I know what God thinks. I know what God's up to. Uh, believe me. 
But this you know the Spirit, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. If someone loves Jesus and believes the Jesus Jesus, they're from God. If they don't, if they tweak it, if they alter it, if they mess with it, if they monkey with it, uh, John's dealing with Gnostics. So they're saying, well, he's like a spirit, but he didn't actually come as a person because the flesh is bad, right? It can take on a couple different utterances that, obviously, but that's the specific heresy he is dealing with in this moment. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, because against Christ. Which you've heard is coming and now is in the world already. Here's our part. Little children, technon, that's you and me. John is an old man and he calls everybody little children a lot. Little children, you're from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So as we live in a time and a place, and yes, even in a city that can be aggressive towards like evangelical, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, always I would use to describe you and me in this church. Evangelical, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving. Yeah, the whole Bible, Bible. It's not always the most like popular thing to stand up. I'm the mayor. I want to be mayor of Seattle. Just so you know, I'm an evangelical, Bible-believing Christian. Vote for me. Love the mayor, pray for him. First Timothy tells us so. Second Timothy tells us so, pardon me. Right? Pray for all the leaders, whether you agree with them or not. Pray for them. But we've already won. We're already in with Jesus. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When the rocks get thrown at us, we know that we have Jesus. And this is our great gift in the middle of tribulation. This is the great gift in the middle of turbulence. We have Jesus, and Jesus has already won. Jesus has already overcome, and we have overcome through him. So just a couple quick observations as we think about how do we worship in the midst of tribulation. Number one, Jesus gives us the Father. Just from the text, right? You have the Father. You have full and unfettered access to God. You might be in the middle of muck and mire and hailstorms and tornadoes. You've got God the Father. They can have everything in their corner, but you've got God the Father in yours. Right? Great scene in Joshua. Joshua comes across an angel. Are you on their side or on our side? Hey, bro, I'm on God's side. Oh, sorry, <laughs> never mind, right? It's not that God comes and is on our side. It's that we're on God's side and want to do what God wants us to do, and we have him, and it's awesome. Number two, Jesus gives us joy. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding when you're a Christian, when, you're, when you just know that there's nothing else you can do but sit with open hands and say, Jesus, there's nothing I can do but sit with open hands and I trust you. I didn't have time to preach the book of Philippians this morning, but you could sum up sorrow turning into joy. The book of Philippians, read it. Don Carson wrote an amazing little commentary goes along with it. Makes your heart sing because God turns sorrow into joy. And I'll put that on the city if you want to check that one out. Amazing little commentary. Uh, number three, Jesus gives us peace. So the ship is going down, and I'm not sure how God's going to get me out of this one, but he's going to get me out of this one. I don't know how. I don't know what tomorrow looks like, God, but I trust you. So I'm going to go to sleep tonight. 
Number four, Jesus gives us hope. Right? You're on the ship and it goes down. You get to go home and be with Jesus forever. Again, Philippians. He has that weird, Paul has that weird conversation with himself. Is it better to go home and be with Jesus or stay here? I don't know. I think I'll pick this. I don't know how Paul gets to pick anything at that point in time, but hey. That's the one thing. I'm always, Paul, what are you talking about? I think I'll pick this one. I don't know what you mean, Paul. Um, But finally, that Jesus gives us victory. Uh, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Even if it goes as poor as it possibly can, even in the worst day, it still brings glory to God when we hold fast to Jesus and don't let go. And don't let go. If you don't know Jesus, but you know tribulation, I know the God who saves from tribulation. And I'm not saying it's a magic wand that makes tribulation go away. I'm saying I know God who is the anchor in the storm. I know Jesus who will save you from yourself and the mess that you've got yourself in. You might not even feel the effects of that ever. But he brings us joy and hope and peace. And if you are a Christian, particularly if you're in the midst of tribulation, if the hurricane is blowing, if the hail is raining, if it's coming down hard, where's your hope? Is your hope in Jesus and in the promises of his word? Or are you just going to read that book or get the new job or do the thing and get yourself on out of the situation? We try and pull ourselves up out of, out of the muck of our lives by our own bootstraps all the time. And all we do is pull ourselves up, out, and into some more muck. Is Jesus what you're leaning on? Is the gospel what you're leaning on? Is the gospel what you're turning to? Is the gospel your hope? The sovereign ruler and reigner, reigner, the one who reigns and rules with his sovereign hand, is your hope in the reality that the love of God will never, we are never separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus or in something else? I would urge you to turn to him. Find peace in him. Find joy in him. Find hope in him. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. I thank you in the middle of muck and trial and tribulation, you are there. In the storm of life, you are there. Though the storm seems to hide your face, seems, doesn't, you're there. In the worst moments of our life, you're there. In the worst sin of our life, you're there. Help us to see you, to find peace in you, and to find joy in you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.